Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. It's your favorite Canna ladies back for a conversation. I'm Jewel. And I'm Cheryl. And today we're going to follow the same format that we have been for the past several episodes. So we're going to touch on the Canadian news, then the U.S. updates, and then finally with any global announcements or news that we think would be of interest to you. So regarding Canada, we have a news release from the province of New Brunswick uh, regarding their privatization of their cannabis sector. So eight proposals have been received in response to the government's request for proposals for the operation, distribution, and sales of recreational cannabis in New Brunswick. The strong interest in our RFP demonstrates that entrepreneurs from across Canada are ready to invest in New Brunswick, said Finance and Treasury Board Minister Ernie Steves. Opening this new sector of activity to business is a tangible example of our government's commitment to energize the private sector. Interested proponents had until January 10th of this year to submit proposals. The province received proposals from the following organizations. Canopy Growth, Fire and Flower, Green Stop Cannabis, Chiaro Brands, Loblaw Companies, New Brunswick Association of Cannabis Distributors, RSL New Brunswick, YSS Corporation. And those are based in Ontario, Alberta, Nova Scotia, BC, New Brunswick, uh, and then two other players from Alberta and Ontario again. And in the coming weeks, the proposals are going to be evaluated through an open, fair, and accountable process overseen by a third-party fairness monitor. This exercise could result in the announcement of the successful single private operator in spring 2020, with transition to the new delivery model later this year. The proposals will be evaluated according to the criteria established in the RFP, such as experience in the sale of recreational cannabis, financial capacity, a viable plan to combat the illegal market, consumer protection through price competitiveness and product diversity, and an approach to build a strong, direct, and indirect partnerships with local entrepreneurs and First Nations. The government will also require a strong financial offer from the successful proponent for the sales rights for cannabis. So New Brunswick is recognizing the benefit of having the cannabis sector privatized, and that's what we're seeing here. It lightens the load on the government agencies that have originally taken on the burden of running the cannabis stores for their province, if that's the choice that they made. And ultimately, what it really does is allows new money to be pumped into the provincial system. The model for cannabis sales needs to move to a more open market aspect. And even so, this is going to be privatized in the sense that one corporation is going to end up running all of the uh previously governmental run stores in New Brunswick, but I hope that we're going to see an opportunity for individuals to come into the market as well. Uh, This is an industry that people should be able to participate in if they are qualified and so choose to do. And so while this is a great step forward, I think and I hope that we're going to see a move to a more open market aspect as the industry matures. I'm curious, um, about the last sentence in that article that uh, 
says that the government will also require a strong financial offer from the successful proponent. Does that mean that this person has, this company has to purchase the rights to sell their cannabis in the province and, or, or to be the sole distributor? And then doesn't that set up a monopoly? So it's a, it's an interesting position that they're taking because say the New Brunswick Association of Cannabis Distributors is the is the winner of this bid that the RFP that the the government the provincial government's put out. So, does that mean that they'll have a monopoly on all these stores, and you won't have an option to purchase it somewhere else? And then I also wonder um, that it puts the onus on the successful bidder to uh, squash the black market. How how what is a viable plan to combat the illegal market look like? Does that mean they have to hire security guards and, or they're going to hire the police to go and raid illegal stores? I'm not really sure how this is going to unfold. It's going to be interesting to watch it all come about. Well, I think in regards to the first question that you mentioned, so in the case of the New Brunswick Association of Cannabis Distributors, just given their name, they would be a distributor, not necessarily a cultivator, but then you do have like canopy is in this list, fire as is fire and flower. flower. Yeah. But then you have Loblaw, who is not a cultivator. They again would just be a distributor. So where they would be getting their product from, would it be ultimately canopy? Would it be from smaller micro cultivators? Like the I think it's open for interpretation. And then in regards to the black market aspect yeah, are they expecting this corporation, whoever purchases the rights, which I think that is what they're saying, to then be responsible for overseeing a task force? Or are they just saying that the plan that they roll out should be taking into consideration ways to combat the black market? I don't know. It seems yeah. a little vague to me. It's going to be very interesting to see how this unfolds. So next from the Calgary Herald, we have uh, an article about Alberta's edibles market. So the era of legal cannabis edibles has arrived in Calgary's retail outlets. Some dispensaries received their first shipments of pot-infused treats Monday from distributor Alberta Gaming Liquor Cannabis, bringing with them hopes of a renewed surge in business. I hope it brings more customers in who haven't tried it, said Mylan Dole, manager of the Queen of Bud at 1717 10th Avenue Southwest. The products, she said, have been heavily anticipated by customers. Edibles have been my number one phone question since before Christmas. They've just been waiting for them to come out, said Dole. But there's also an expectation of supply constraints similar to what plagued the availability of Bud that prompted a six-month moratorium of new cannabis store approvals in Calgary, she said. There's always going to be supply issues just because it's such a new thing. And these are the first baby steps in a new legal era. This is going to be a trial and error for the next little while, so this is all very new and exciting. And it's because Canada is leading the way, so there's no other model that exists aside from looking to another industry like alcohol or tobacco. But without that, you're sort of creating the example as you're going. And I think it's necessarily a good thing that it is rolling out slowly because while it can be frustrating to be patient, it prevents more mistakes. And we would hate to see something happen to a consumer that, you know, ingested a product and they took too much and they had a bad experience, we would rather 
things move slowly so that consumers are able to determine for themselves what their tolerance is and why this is a learning process for both consumers and suppliers because we just honestly don't have enough research to be able to across the board say this is the right dose for everybody. And that's just not the way that cannabis interacts with the human system. I find it interesting that, um, you know, the the dosage that people are used to taking or, or experimenting with, the, the logo is go slow, go low. Um, because someone who is of a small stature might need more than someone who has a larger BMI. It, it, it's very personal how the how the cannabinoids interact with your receptors in your body so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the edible market unfolds also but you said something interesting there about um, not having anything to compare it to uh, but something like the liquor industry the gaming industry is fairly new in Canada and I think that has propelled helped to propel the cannabis market because the provinces have recognized the job creation and the tax revenue that's come off of the casinos in the in the individual provinces, and they recognize that cannabis can do the same thing. It can really infuse the province with job creation and with a tax base. And of course, people want to see things happen fast. We're, we're humans. We like instant gratification. That's why we like our iPhones and Amazon. But in this case, it's really important to do things uh, slow and steady so that 10 years from now, we have a really solid, mature market that is something that other people will be looking to as an example, uh, because 10 years from now, we are still going to be seeing other countries going through their legalization process. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. So it's nice to see that when they're introducing something that's very new to a lot of people, like edibles, that they're doing so in a, in a slow and steady way. Now we're going to go over to the coast and discuss how edibles in Cape Breton have been selling out. Beverly Ware, a spokesperson with the Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation, said their 12 stores that sell cannabis products, including the Sydney River location, continue to sell out of certain edibles such as chocolates, soft chews, and mints. The stores have also begun to offer some teas and vape products. It turns out with the edibles, it's the chocolates and the soft chews that are the most popular with customers, Ware said. Carmel Henry, of Sydney was leaving the Sydney River store with cannabis products Tuesday. She said she had never tried edibles but would like to. I inquired last week but they never had any in, she said. One of the employees told me it sells out fast but they will be getting more. This is just another example of people trying edibles, people who were not interested in cannabis before. Edibles distance cannabis from the stigma and are far different than the pot brownies, quote unquote, from coming of age films that we're all familiar with. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who would like to try cannabis, either recreationally or medically, but either can't get over the stigma of smoking or don't want to smoke a joint. They want something that's more accessible, that incorporates into their daily life more easily and also doesn't cause them to smell or their clothes to smell. A lot of people want to do this sort of experience privately and they don't necessarily want everybody knowing what they're doing in the privacy of their own home and that's really where edibles can come into play and and I think we're going to see a lot of people choosing 
edible options over smoking now that it's a legal option and there are regulations in place so they know that what they're ingesting is safe. Edibles are a far more discreet fashion of ingesting the cannabis too. Like you may not be able to smoke a joint at your break at work or um, while you're walking through the grocery store, pull out a vape pen, but you could just slip a gummy under your tongue and or a chocolate into your mouth. And it's a far more discreet way of ingesting the, the product. I talked to a, a gentleman yesterday who has cancer and um, it's, it's an issue for his lungs to smoke. It's an issue for his lungs to vape. And so he uses edibles. And he said that um, he likes the way the, the edibles are more controllable and they come up on you in a more, uh, it's a slower way of, of getting the medicine that you need. Whereas, uh, smoking a joint or vaping hits you really fast and hits you hard where he likes the, the option of being able to, you know, put a chocolate in his mouth and know that it's, um, going to, uh, enter his system in a slow and manageable fashion. I think it's just very important to touch on the fact that there is some responsibility in taking edibles and it's important for people to be very clear about the fact that an edible is still the same as smoking in in how it affects you and yes there is a delayed release but you don't we don't want people to think that you can go and have a gummy and then drive your kids to soccer or hockey or whatnot. It's important for people to know that this is still affecting you in a way that may impair your judgment. And so you don't necessarily want to act irresponsibly. It's important for everybody who is becoming interested in the market of edibles to know that there is a responsibility factor there. And I think that we need to see more of that being incorporated into the conversation around edibles, because right now it seems very uh, new and interesting and exciting, but it is similar to alcohol in the fact, in the way that it can affect you. And so it's important for everybody who's using edibles to be considerate of those facts. So now we're going to move on to news for the U.S. So if you have listened to earlier episodes of the podcast, then you know that uh, the U.S. has legalized cannabis in certain states, not federally, but is allowed by the federal government for research purposes. But apparently, there's just not enough to actually do the research. So according to BNN Bloomberg, one of the top advocates for allowing U.S. companies to grow cannabis for research purposes has imported a batch from the Netherlands, saying he had no choice because of the lack of progress at home. California-based biopharmaceutical research company founded by former Navy SEAL George Hodgin legally imported a small quantity of marijuana from Bedrocan International last month for to use for scientific analysis with the goal of better understanding the plant. As someone who fought for this country, it saddens me that Americans aren't the ones producing the cannabis material that we are researching, Hodgin said in an interview. 
Canadian-grown cannabis has also been imported into the U.S. for research purposes. Tilray Incorporated, for example, has brought in pot for clinical trials at the University of San Diego, California, San Diego, New York University, and Columbia University. The restrictions on researching cannabis in the U.S. stem from a long-standing federal prohibition on the drug, despite it now being legal in 33 states for medical use and 11 for recreational use. Currently, there's only one government-approved farm at the University of Mississippi that grows pot for research purposes. The Drug Enforcement Agency said in August that it would propose new regulation for growing marijuana for scientific and medical research and would then make decisions on pending applications from growers. It first invited those applications in 2016. Attorney General William Barr pledged in April to act on those pending applications and said he was pleased the DEA was moving forward in August. Then things stalled, and said Senator Brian Schatz, a Democrat from Hawaii who sent a bipartisan letter to Barr last month urging the DEA to allow researchers to obtain products from state legal dispensaries, the deadline for response was December 20th, and they did not get back to us, Schatz said over the phone in an interview. This is another ominous sign that this administration opposes not just rescheduling or descheduling or decriminalization, but anything that has to do with cannabis they're fighting. Schatz said that he believes Congress can pass marijuana research legislation in 2020. So the U.S. is falling behind in an industry that it could be involved in globally. Many people recognize that the cannabis industry could be a thriving option, and this is countries across the world are recognizing the fact that it's an opportunity for increased tax revenue, for more jobs, for more growth within cities that have stagnated. But instead, everything regarding cannabis is currently logjammed in the federal government structure. And it's unfortunate because... The U.S. citizens, with 11 states recreationally and medically legal, and then 33 just medically legal, the citizens recognize the benefits of the plant. More so than not, 33 is more than a majority of the 50 U.S. states and the two territories. So the fact that the federal government just keeps things log jammed is, it's, it's unfortunate because it's only holding back the U.S. citizens and the opportunity that the U.S. could have in this market. The U.S. could be a leader in this. Obviously, they're a, a strong country with a big population, and they um, are technologically advanced and could sort of surpass Canada in being a leader in this industry. But for whatever reason, there's an anchor there holding them back. And uh, I, I don't get it. it. It would seem to me that with the majority of states being state-approved, I don't know why the federal government isn't getting on board and taking a leadership role in this. And I think, like you said, the U.S. at one point maybe could have surpassed Canada in mm -hmm. terms of legalizing. I don't think just given the way the current climate is in the U.S. and how uh, divisive the conversation about cannabis is, in the U.S., I just I think they have, I don't think they've missed the opportunity to have their own industry and be successful, but I think they've essentially missed the opportunity to be well. They've missed the opportunity to be first out of the gate. I hope they don't miss the opportunity to be a leader in the industry. Correct. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, 
there are states that have legalized uh, both recreationally and medically. And so that's what we're going to touch on now. So edibles are on the rise in the U.S. as well, according to Benzinga. Gage Cannabis Company is bringing Burner's Cookies brand to Detroit. A flagship 3,500-square-foot cannabis provisioning center will open January 31st at 6030 East 8 Mile Road, the thoroughfare that was made famous globally by the rapper Eminem. 8 Mile Forgems, the city's northern border, and has been home to many cannabis dispensaries since medical marijuana was legalized in Michigan. The store will only serve medical patients for now. The city of Detroit opted out of recreational marijuana sales in November. When we are allowed to do so by the state and city, we intend to apply for a recreational license for cookies, a company representative told Benzinga. And so edibles are, we already went through what a great option they are for a lot of people, especially for medical patients who either can't smoke due to the condition that they are suffering from or don't want to. As cannabis moves away from the smoking stigma, more and more ways to safely consume will become available. And this is this is more of the same conversation about how the US, many states want to have that recreational option. Now, obviously Detroit took their vote and opted out of recreational sales at this time, but Detroit is a perfect example of what we were just talking about in the previous article. It's a city that is in a state of revival, but could definitely use some assistance in doing that. And having more cannabis stores is going to provide more jobs for people. They could convert some of the old factories that they have in Detroit into cannabis facilities. Like the possibilities for somewhere that is a city in need of some fusion of new cash and infusion of new opportunity is this is the perfect example so i think gauge cannabis company is seeing that with michigan being medically legal they're ultimately going to end up being recreationally legal and they're going to be right there with the cookies brand to have that option available for people when it is an option for everybody And now we're going to get into something interesting. So with Cannabis 2.0 in Canada, we are seeing the creation of canna beverages. And is that the next trend? So according to PR Newswire, rising popularity of wellness drinks is also expected to support the demand over the forecast period. The legalization of cannabis for medical and recreational purpose has had a strong impact on the sales of alcoholic drinks. As a result, many alcohol manufacturers are investing in the growing trend of marijuana-infused drinks. For instance, Lagunitas, Heineken's fast-growing California beer label, launched Hi-Fi Hops, which is a cannabis-based beverage with zero calories or carbs and is infused with CBD and THC. In 2017, Constellation Brands, the third-largest beer manufacturer in the U.S., entered into a partnership with Canopy Growth, the world's largest marijuana grower to develop cannabis-infused beverages. Consumers are shifting their preferences from soft drinks to wellness drinks, leading into increasing sales of cannabis beverages. Low sugar content in drinks is the major driving factor for the growth of the market. Also, consumers prefer these beverages as an alternative to cannabis smoking and consumption of marijuana-infused cookies, chocolates, brownies, and confectionaries like gummies and candies. 
Off-trade sales channels such as hotels, cafes, restaurants, clubs, and lounges are expected to boost the popularity of the product among consumers. Strong demand for cannabis beverages from millennials is also anticipated to drive the market growth. As per a 2017 Yahoo News poll, the majority of 55 million recreational marijuana users in the U.S. were millennials. Most millennials consume marijuana socially, and only 25% 25 of them consume it alone. A 10-year study by researchers at the University of Connecticut and Georgia State University completed in 2017 found that in U.S. counties where marijuana was legalized, wine and beer purchases decreased by 15%. And the global cannabis beverages market is expected to reach $2.8 billion by 2025. So cannabis has a unique community sense around it. And it really has the potential to replace both tobacco and alcohol. And studies that we do have currently have shown that it's less harmful to the human body. So the idea of cannabis-based beverages is a very interesting one. Are we going to see cannabis farms with restaurants and tours and tastings like wineries in Napa, California? Are we going to see, obviously we're going to see a push for lifestyle branding incorporated in new cannabis marketing where that's legal and it's going to be very much like the beer commercial lifestyle that people have referred to we're going to start seeing the same thing only it's going to be cannabis beverages not beer commercials anymore this is a um, a very interesting thing that's happening and you would think that the beer and wine industry would be pushing against the legalization, if it has decreased their sales by 15% in the counties where marijuana has been legalized, you would think that they would push against it. But instead, they're making a very tactile move by getting in the stream and and becoming one with the cannabis industry because they know they can't stop it. Very interesting. And as far as the, uh, the cannabis farm tours, uh, I had a large LP reach out to me this week. I, I read their media release that, that that's exactly what they're aiming for is to become a destination place for a tour to tour their facility and then have uh, people experience their cannabis in the store that's attached to the facility. They reached out to me to see if I would be interested in sort of coming on board and making a, a second stop in this tour. I think that the same way that Vegas is a destination that people go to and they arrive in Vegas and then they take a cab or a limo or an Uber from the airport to their hotel and then they pretty much don't uh, drive for the rest of their stay, whether that's a weekend or a week. Uh, And what I find so interesting about that is that I think we're going to see similar cannabis opportunities of the same nature where it's you know a bed and breakfast or a resort or a hotel that has cannabis infusions in the food or they have available beverages or there's cafes for those who do want to smoke or cafes with treats for those who want to eat edibles and you sort of stay on property like a similar mindset to an all-inclusive type of resort uh, and you experience cannabis over that stay And then when you leave, you don't take anything with you. It was just sort of a cannabis-infused holiday. 
similar to what they do in the Niagara region with wineries. They have the tours and bed and breakfasts in the area that... Um, are right a, on property. Yeah, symbiotic relationship. And and they do the same thing in Napa, Sonoma. The, there is a, a recognized industry there. I think we're going to see the same thing with cannabis. It would be great to see a resort in the Kootenays because right? they can yeah. tour multiple facilities. Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to progress into the global news for this week. And uh, we have a very interesting article about the progress happening in New Zealand from Benzinga. Canopy Rivers Incorporated portfolio company Biolumic has received approval from the New Zealand Ministry of Health to use ultraviolet light technology in medical cannabis farming. Other crops like strawberries have shown an increased yield of up to 60% with the technology, according to Canopy Rivers. The permit from the New Zealand Ministry of Health allows for the first use of the company's UV technology in the cannabis market. Bioluminic is partnering with two cannabis companies to research the technology. The Canopy Rivers portfolio company James E. Wagner Cultivation Incorporation and the Auckland-based medical cannabis firm Helios Therapeutics. It is so great to see innovation in all areas of the industry and especially lighting. So if you're familiar with the cannabis plants, then you know that different light spectrums impact the growth of the plant and sometimes impact it in veg or in flower. It really depends on the spectrum. In some studies, the THC is much stronger in plants grown in higher elevations due to THC being the plant's natural defense against UVB spectrum, which means that this lighting system could be great for producing products that are high in THC content because they are tapping into the natural chemistry of the plant. It's interesting to me that the UVB uh, spectrum in the plant is now being used it's been known for a long time that uh, growers in the Rockies, growers in high elevations, seem to be able to get this higher THC than those that grow at lower elevations. And I guess they've recognized that the UVV, UVB spectrum is where it's coming from. So it's very interesting that they're doing this. The UVB spectrum, however, is very dangerous for growers. And so it has to be managed in a in a way that... The UVB is happening when there are not uh, people present in the in the facility. I wonder if they could perhaps develop some sort of... Do you remember when people used to wear lead aprons around computers? Mm-hmm. I wonder if they could develop a different uh, protection for people, almost like a suit, that they could... I mean, they can tend to the plants when the lights are off, but that's difficult. Uh, I think it's going to be the same as CO2. When you introduce CO2 into your grow... It's not um, a time when humans should be in there either. So UVB and CO2 will probably be introduced during the 1212 uh, light part of the 1212, and humans won't be in there when that's going on. We have also seen operations where there's no human contact with the plant. Yeah. Everything is automated, so yeah. perhaps they're going to be using that sort of system. And now we're going to travel to the other side of the globe and talk about how CBD is turning a profit in the UK, and that's according to MJ Daily. A popular cannabis-derived epilepsy treatment is increasing sales for a London company making pharmaceutical treatments from marijuana. London-based GW Pharmaceuticals told investors Monday that it rang up $108 million in sales last quarter and $309 million for calendar 2019. 
The company's fourth quarter sales beat consensus analysts' expectations of $102.4 million. GW attributes the sales figures to physicians being amenable to prescribing the company's cannabis-derived epilepsy drug, Epidiolex. The announcement about increased sales comes three months after the European Commission granted marketing authorization to Epidiolex, the trade name in Europe for Epidiolex, and two months after British authorities said two cannabis-derived drugs from GW Pharmaceuticals are eligible for coverage through the United Kingdom's National Health Service. GW Pharmaceuticals said that the vast majority of fourth quarter sales, 104 million, came from Epidiolex, but the company did not clarify how much of those sales were made in Europe. So I'd like to present an interesting concept here. And if anybody were to refer to the term gateway drug in terms of CBD, I wouldn't blame them because CBD is the cannabinoid that everyone feels safe about because it doesn't have a psychoactive component. Most people aren't familiar with the whole plant methodology. And if you, if you aren't familiar with that, we discussed that in a previous episode, but I'll just briefly explain that you need multiple different cannabinoids that exist in the plant to have the best healing effect. And they don't have to be present in high quantities. Uh, With CBD and THC, it can be almost a negligible amount of THC, but it still helps the CBD be more active. So if you think about it, CBD is sort of the entry point for cannabis. It's the gateway. Uh, It sort of seems like governments think step one is to legalize CBD hemp or CBD cannabis, and then step two is quote-unquote real cannabis. And this is a strategy of legalization that has been in play for a while uh, because a lot of people are familiar with hemp and don't see anything wrong with it. The stigma of CBD is nowhere near the stigma of THC, and so it introduces the public to cannabis and the legalization of cannabis in a friendlier, more approachable way. But make no mistake, this is very strategic. Well, everyone is talking about CBD right now and they, and how it helps their, their aunt or their uncle or their cousin takes it. And so it's very strategic the way it's being introduced, as is medical and then follows recreational legalization. It's strategic. And I really think that that's... Uh... It's marketing. People who are in the cannabis industry who are more on the legal side of things have recognized that CBD is something that people are more tolerant of. They they see it in a different light. And so by slowly making the connection between CBD and THC cannabis, uh, they're they're entering the market in a very unique way that is altering the public's perception of the plant as a whole, CBD or THC. Going to be interesting. This whole ride is very interesting. So that's our conversation for today, and we look forward to chatting with you next week. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com that's c-w-c-u-l-t-i-v-a-t-i-o-n-s.com